Welcome to Altered Mobility. I am your host, Cheryl Gross Glazer, and we're going to the top of our notes here so I can welcome you to today's episode. We are uh, in the first of a three-part series, but first, what is Altered Mobility? We are a podcast about the history of publicly available transportation, public spaces, the way we get around and what surrounds us in the public sphere. We go into all sorts of histories here. And today's episode, as I said, first of a three-part series, because how can you be a podcast without talking about Jackie Kennedy? Uh, we are doing a three-part series on Jackie Kennedy Anassis and Lady Bird Johnson uh, about the 60s and their efforts um, surrounding mostly public spaces, but a little bit on transportation. And I'm your host, Cheryl Gross Glazer, and we have our mascot today, my dog, Tori, her main person, uh, my husband is not in the house today, and she's feeling, I think, a little apprehensive. So we are trying to keep her calm and away from trouble. So she's in the recording studio today, which is my closet filled with its usual mess. Pillows I haven't covered, laundry, assorted bags, shoes all over the place. I do have her doggy bed here, but she has chosen not to use it. Okay. <laughs> All right. First, our moment in equity. Uh, this, uh, we're doing two quotes from something called Mapping Segregation in DC. Racialized lending policies worked in concert with restri restrictive deed covenants and exclusionary zoning, both to concentrate white wealth and to shrink black access to land and capital. In DC, decades of such practices combined with the replacement of rural black enclaves with whites only housing led to the stark segregation. By the end of 1960, the value of FHA, insured property in majority black DC came to less than one seventh of that insured in the white suburban counties of Fairfax, Virginia, and Prince George's and Montgomery County, Maryland. And if you look at the history of Prince George's, that's also a very good look into equity because it's changed a lot since 1960. I do have a warning here for the next three episodes. We will be discussing some matters that could be upsetting or inappropriate for children or individuals with triggers due to mentions of violence, war, inappropriate, and inappropriate behavior in relationships. Okay, so although we are going to concentrate later in these three episodes to about uh, a 20-year period. And we're going to do a nice foundation in this first episode before that period. It's, it's all kind of leading up to that, that period of, uh, you know, um, 
the very late 50s through through the 70s. The changes in those 20 years in societal practices and attitudes were astounding. You can see that reflected even if you just look at photographs from that period, from the end of the 1950s uh, civil rights protests, and then you go look looking through photographs from the looting, um, the protests of the civil rights movement, uh, and the Vietnam War protests, um, urban riots. You, you see that we go from a very segregated world where everyone across the board is dressed up, kind of leave it to beaver style, um, to as we go through with more violence, more, more protests, um, you get to the Black Panthers, you get to assassinations of political leaders, um, you get to even respected newsmen, and they were all men at the time, uh, talking about the horrendous violent responses to demands for voting rights um, and equity, and to um, statements and protests about the Vietnam War being unwinnable. Just look at those photographs over that 20-year period. And you don't even have to know the history to know that huge changes must have taken place. So the, the, the first ladies of the period whom we're going to discuss, Jacqueline Kennedy, Onassis, and Lady Bird Johnson, uh, the tumultuous events and societal attitudes would affect how they were perceived and their legacies. And to get us up to speed, you know, in this foundation, before we even get to uh, some of their efforts while they were first ladies and with Jackie even beyond, we're going to explore who these women were. We'll be comparing and contrasting their backgrounds and experiences in the public eye as they approach and become first ladies. In episode two, our next episode, we will be looking at Jackie's involvement in preventing the destruction and the character of Lafayette Square in Washington, D.C. and Lady Bird's beautification environmental efforts her work specifically in urban planning outside the confines of tourist, official, wealthy Washington, D.C. That topic will continue into episode three, and then we'll conclude this three-part series with um, Jackie's advocacy to save Grand Central Terminal. So let's start with the question that must be on at least a few of your minds. Why even talk about these two women's two women? They weren't elected. They just happened to be where they were. What kind of an effect did they even have? You know, there's so many more important people we could be looking at. Um, and why look at them specifically on a podcast about the history of public space and transportation? And my answer is twofold. One, they both had actually pretty significant uh, effects in this area, and they're very good case studies in terms of personality, media attention, and the, the times in which they, they were active on these issues. 
Uh, it's a very interesting study. And, and my other answer is that more generally, you can have all the plans, all the laws, all the, uh, the policies in place, and we make so many assumptions. But one thing we've seen in the last uh, six years, at least in the United States, is how much uh, the personality of certain players, if you will, in our public sphere affect the institutions in which and outside of which they operate. And if you have ever any doubt about that, read about the history uh, involving J. Edgar Hoover and uh, law enforcement or Robert Moses and planning. And you will really see how one outsized personality can really have a big effect. And I would say with, with Lady Bird and Jackie, we see not so much these outsized controlling personalities, but certainly important ones and ones that had interesting effects. Tori's doing her little scratch, little, yeah, you're a good doggy. You're a good, good co-podcast host. It's a little quiet, but, you know, all right. Okay, so when it comes to biographies, there's two main ones about Lady Bird Johnson and a whole library's worth uh, that focus on Jackie Kennedy's life or specific parts of it. Um, I'm putting in the show notes all of my sources, and I'll mention um, some of the major ones in these two episodes, but I'm not going to do a full rundown of their lives. I'm just going to point out some important things, but uh, there's so much so that, that that part will take up the first episode. And I'm not drinking my coffee today. I did have my Zeke's this morning. Nice Sumatra. Love it, love it, love it, but uh, it's a little later in the day now. Okay, so when were these women born? You know, uh, let's, let's uh, start painting our picture. Lady Bird was of an earlier generation than Jackie Kennedy. She, Jack, uh, Lady Bird, born Claudia Alta Taylor. Alta Taylor? I don't know. Uh, uh, she was born in 1912 in rural Texas, spending lots of time in rural Alabama with her mother's relatives. And she lived until a ripe old age. She lived till 2007. Uh, Jackie was born in 1929 in Southampton, New York. Yes, the Hamptons. And she grew up mainly in New York City, in ritzy suburban Washington, D.C., uh, or in a sub ritzy area of the Washington suburbs. And she lived only till 1994. She was only in her, her 60s when she passed away. This is a tale of two women who grow up among wealth, but in very different contexts, very different places. They ref reflect evolving generational shifts in the self-images of American women, as well as cultural differences born of their different geographies, uh, one in the North, one in the South, one much more herbal, er, herbal, <laughs> urban, gosh, urban and urbane and the other rural. Uh, for Lady Bird, despite growing up wealthy, she's the only daughter and the far youngest child of three of a self-made man 
Uh, he came from nothing in rural Alabama. He married the wealthy daughter of a prosperous local businessman. Lady Bird followed in her father's frugal ways, even as she became a young woman, uh, with plenty of money for clothes or whatever, and even when she became a businesswoman and even a millionaire years later, as she invested her money in radio and television stations in Texas. No matter how much money she had, no matter how many millions, and no matter how many public or private kind of... Um, dollars being put toward the efforts she put her 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 work toward she was always very frugal and that's in stark contrast to her mother who was born comfortable as a woman lived always lived as a woman of means and who didn't um want or seem to know how to exist outside of that um Lady Bird's mother had pretty much no interest in being a homemaker, um, but the influence of Lady Bird's mother was limited because she passed away, possibly as a result of a tubal pregnancy when Lady Bird was five, so she really grows up without her mom. Uh, she basically grows up as an only child because her brothers, who were much older, were already away at her mother's insistence at boarding school. Um, her mother insisted that they have a much better education than what was available in rural Texas. And she wanted them, I think, also to be brought up amongst children or young men of more educated uh, types of people. She was aiming to do, or it seemed that she would be aiming to do the same for her daughter. And perhaps she also wanted her children to have less th to do with their father, and more of that later. But then she dies very early, and Lady Bird's life is forever changed. In terms of wealth, Jackie has the opposite experience from Lady Bird, in that she grows up amongst enormous wealth, but her father took uh, the wealth of her particular family, and he, he invests it badly, and he spends a lot. And so he really spends it down. On the other hand, the people she grows up around are very wealthy. So both first ladies have fathers who fooled around. Uh, Black Jack Bouvier, uh, Jackie's father was a known womanizer and alcohol, alcoholic, and very creepily, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because it really is so creepy, as Jackie grows up, he even flirts with her, her schoolmates, you know, yick, when you're a teacher to have your father flirting with your friends, or just even people you know at school, um, but but they somehow seem to have a wonderful father-daughter relationship that's reminiscent of the one that Eleanor Roosevelt had with her father, uh, who was also uh, an alcoholic. Uh, he's a very charming guy, Black Jack, and Jackie is his favorite child. Lady Bird's father, Thomas Jefferson Johnson Taylor, also strayed from his marriage. He had relations, shall we say, with uh, local black women, and it's not known whether these were actually consensual relationships or encounters. And I want to say, based on what I've read about his personality, I'm guessing they weren't. 
entirely or maybe even partly consensual. Or, um, as far as black women, this is a man who is in complete control. He's basically the boss of the area they live in at a time when there's lynchings and other violence against black people. This was known and tolerated. It was not prosecuted. Either his actions or others like his. He had many sharecroppers who were permanent debt to him, and he had a bunch of local businesses. See, in a way, he's more like a mafia boss, even more than a pre-Civil War plantation owner. There's because there's not only is there the threat of violence, um, but there's kind of a like a non-responsibility at the same time. This man has great economic power and power over the lives of most people around him, as well as his wealth. Uh, Taylor and his wife had a very troubled relationship, and she spent years on and off separated from her husband. Uh, often she was far away at her childhood home in Alabama. And even when they were together, she would take long trips with her sister, the sister who d didn't marry, uh, to the Kellogg Health Resort in Battle, Battle Creek, Michigan. Uh, after her death, when Lady Bird was five, uh, her, her husband later married uh, twice, again, both to younger women, one whom he divorced when he found out that she was having an affair, and the third wife, who was actually two or three young, years younger than uh, Lady Bird. And Lady Bird did not seem to like either woman. None was what were you would consider a genteel Southern woman. And that always seemed to be Lady Bird's ideal. That was how what she aspired to be. That was her standard in her marriage and in her relationships. So in Lady Bird's small town world, her father is hugely prosperous and powerful. She grows up with servants. Um, she never has to do anything for herself, really. No chores. Um, her friends were the, the children of local people, and these are people dependent on her father. Later, Lady Bird goes to a... Uh, a larger town within the region uh, for high school and her aunt her mother's unmarried sister did come to raise her and was with her uh, while she was in high school but this aunt was like her mother not a caretaker care caretaker <laughs> type of person um, Lady Bird was often left to herself as a child the aunt did take her uh, on trips uh, to the Kellogg Resort, and on one of those trips, at least, she flies in, an, flies in an early airplane. Remember, she's born in 1912, right? So any time during her childhood is a time when air travel is extremely uh, uncommon, you know? So she does have some of the benefits of having money. So the house where Lady Bird grew up until she moved away with her aunt to attend 
high school in this bigger town. It does look like a classic plantation house, and indeed, the local sharecroppers were basic. They're basically treated like enslaved people, you know, uh, not well. And her father does have these violent kind of tendencies. He's not a kind man. Um, so I, I can't imagine how how comfortable it was for a young child, even if he wasn't taking these things out, these tendencies out on her. She certainly saw them or saw people react to him in certain ways. She's uh, She doesn't know how to clean, cook, sew, dress well. She, she never really was very interested in, in clothes. And it seems... So even though she comes from wealth, more wealth than Jackie does... She comes from a milieu in which most people are not at all well-to-do or comfortable. She saw firsthand poverty, segregation, and the cruelties of, of what is very a very harsh apartheid system. On the other hand, she does enjoy Southern hospitality and wealth and relatives like that. She sees what it is to live in the South and what success is considered for a woman. Um, but she does take on her father's frugality. This is part of how he, he makes his wealth. He doesn't spend it necessarily. He invests it. because he's, he is himself born into a sharecropper kind of family. And then once he marries uh, this wealthy woman, they flee to Texas. It's not like he has her money, but he is determined. Whatever else you can say about him, he doesn't seem like a very genial guy. Jackie's the opposite, right? She has little or nothing, but she grows up in a milieu in which everybody is wealthy or they're the servant of somebody who's wealthy. She grows up with the aristocracy of New York, Newport, Connecticut, the Hamptons, a world unto itself, sheltered away from people of other social classes. Um, she always went to exclusive private schools. And essentially in this world, you're not anyone if you're not wealthy. So she grows up with this consciousness that she doesn't have her own money, but that the place to be is with these, these jet-setting kind of types or established wealthy people. Uh, Jackie does have one younger sister, her full sister, um, and like uh, Lady's Bird's parents, Jackie's parents uh, were not a happy couple. They fought, and then they separated when she was seven. They later divorced. Uh, so bo both women are born of unhappy marriages. Um, Jackie's mother does uh, later remarry several years uh, after the divorce to a very wealthy husband who is uh, settled in, in the D.C. area. So Jackie grows up with the benefit of, of money, education, and connections, but also with this knowledge that it's not her wealth. She's not going to be uh, coming into a trust fund or into an inheritance. Yes, I'm just petting Tori because she's being so cute and very sweet and calm. 
Yeah, we got her doggy bed and her favorite toy in here. It's a big toy. It's bigger than she is, but she likes to rest on it. Okay. So both Ladybird and Jackie are unusual if we look at at the entirety of their generations uh, in terms of women. They both have good educations. I've, they both attended and graduated from college at a time when many women would uh, either not start college or start college and leave to marry. Uh, Lady Bird attended a junior college and then afterwards she went to the University of Texas at Austin, which she adored and she graduated from there. She made friends there. She was involved in lots of activities. Uh, Jackie was a debutante. She goes to Vassar, uh, which she didn't want to attend. This was her parents' choice. Um, she wanted to go further afield, and she spent her junior year in France through a program from Smith College. And later, she uses that kind of as her segue. She goes to France. She becomes uh, fluent in French. And she then transfers to uh, GW, George Washington University, which is located in Washington, D.C., uh, downtown. Uh, at this point, her mother is remarried and living, you know, in the horsey set of a very wealthy enclave in suburban Virginia. And Jackie's living at home. So she's both exposed to the wider world, um, but... She's also exposed to kind of this um, aristocratic national leadership through her, her mother and her stepdad. Uh, Lady Bird and Jackie both had boyfriends be before they met their husband um, and young men who were indeed serious about them. Uh, Lady Bird was smitten on day one with Lyndon Baines Johnson, and despite red flags, um, she goes ahead. Now I'm gonna, I'm just gonna mention one red flag, but I mean to me it's like, oh my God, get away from this guy! But she doesn't. She's smitten, and this red flag is that Lyndon had a a habit. Are you reading a box? Oh my gosh. It's, uh, oh, it's okay. It's an okay box. I probably shouldn't let you eat it because you could get into a box that you shouldn't be eating. Okay, let's tend to the dog for a moment. Yes, sweetheart. Yes, sweetheart. You want to eat something? You have your toy? Yeah, it's okay. All right. So, uh, the red flag, so he's dating, he's concentrating on the daughters of wealthy families. He wants to marry into some money, into some economic security, because he comes from nothing, and he has aspirations. And if you want to ever look at the history of the Founding Fathers, you'll find quite a few who had the same trajectory. So, uh, LBJ was not alone. Uh... Lady Bird is 22, and he is 26 when they get married, three months after they meet. It's, it's, um, they meet, there's a connection, and they get married soon thereafter. And suddenly, he expects her on day one to know what to do as a wife. And that means to him, and what he basically tells her is the housekeeping, the cooking, and that may be cooking late dinner dinners, 
uh, whenever he comes home and for whomever he comes home with. You know, he may be coming home with one or four colleagues and where's dinner? Uh, keeping up appearances was important to him and what she wore. And he would often criticize her in front of others. Think how yicky that is um, for how she dressed. And he expected her to take care of the finances. And she did this all without question, uh, even though she had no family experience of any of this, right? She grows up without a mom and whatever memories she has of her mom or her aunt, uh, there's nothing like this. But she has a lot, of Lady Bird has a lot of faith in her husband. She is like a moth to a flame, kind of. She invests $10,000 of her inheritance from her mother. And, and I have to say, I'm not sure how much that was inheritance was. But $10,000, she marries him in 1934. That is a lot of money in today's dollars. You're talking about hundreds of thousands, probably. And, and it's a big clip of what she has. And she's a frugal person. She is not someone who... Uh, spends easily, yet she's given him a whole chunk of change. And what is it for, for his first campaign for Congress? Then he gets into Congress and she does all the socializing expected at the time of congressional wives. They're expected to kind of make these daily visits with their cards to uh, those higher up on the social ladder. Uh, she runs a uh, Lyndon's office when he's away, and she does this for a long time during World War II. And also uh, during the war, she invests her own money to buy a radio station. Um, and as that wolf builds, she invests in a whole string of them in the later television stations. She manages that business, um, which did benefit from her husband's political assistance and connections, but she definitely oversees those businesses and operates them and keeps a very close eye on uh, the finances there. With Jackie, until we get to her marriage, her experience as a young woman is very different from Lady Bird's. And I'm going to take a sip of my tea here. Very weak tea because I'm thirsty. I do miss my Zeke's, but I don't drink it in the afternoon. That's not happening thing. Okay. So, although Jackie comes out looking well uh, in her debutante and early college years, there's plenty of male attention, possible relationships, she waits to marry. Um, despite having options, she begins to veer dangerously close to uh, titles that we don't use today, the title of spinster or old maid. Uh, she has a job. It's probably one that did not fully support her. Uh, and she's coming to be 23. And she's aging out of the marriage market by then. I know that's like, what? <laughs> 23 but you know that's practically considered now you know my young 20s you're going around you're dating or not dating or experimenting in whatever way no in those days um 
you're already considered kind of old for getting married at 23. My mother was 25. She's exactly Jackie's age. And she was considered uh, a spinster. It was like, oh my God, you're getting married so old when she did. I knew someone whose mother got married at 40 and she was considered like hope had long been given up. And that's just the way people thought of it then. Now it's like, okay, this made a choice. That was not the way things were were, uh, considered at the time. She's considered, you know, almost getting to be a lost cause. Because, you know, as she's aging up and out, there are young women every year who are becoming debutantes and graduating college or in college and are prime marriageable age. So there's always fresh competition. So she's perhaps getting a little desperate at this time. Uh, neither Jackie nor Ladybird uh, demonstrated truly serious career aspirations. Ladybird did express a desire to go into journalism. She also uh, had kind of like tentative thoughts about teaching in Alaska. But when she rem- married, she never uh, revisited any of those vague plans. Uh, Jackie, uh, she's in a world where it's comfortable to use your connections. And she goes into kind of a daughter of a friend secretarial position and then a, a sort of journalism job in D.C. It's, it's kind of a light journalism job, but she does take it seriously. She does do it well. Um, that's all through her stepfather's connections. She's a roving reporter slash photographer. And she never intends to make this like uh, a long-term career, but it does seem like she enjoyed it. Um, And it's a good way of making connections for meeting men, because whom are you uh, meeting and interviewing, right, and highlighting? It's these ambitious men. And she did seem to thrive on this work. Uh, Jackie did date some wealthy young men. She had some serious relationships, even an engagement, which she broke off. Um, and then at some point she re-meets Jack Kennedy. She had met him before, but now she re-meets him. It's kind of a blind date at some, you know, dinner at somebody's home. And it's the right time for both of them to marry. This was not in any sense a fiery love affair. It's not we met and we stopped seeing other people or we stop whatever we're involved with, you know, as we um, just get excited getting to know each other. It didn't seem at all like that. Jack continues to see other women on the side. Um, They're not continually seeing each other. They're not like continually in touch. And Jackie's aware that Jack needs to get married for Uh, appearance purposes, especially if he's going to serve in the Senate. He's in his 30s and he's ambitious. Uh, He doesn't want to be perceived as uh, possibly gay. That's not a good look uh, in the late 50s. Or as, you know, a long-term bachelor. These are not ways to... They're not conventional ways to project a certain appearance if you're going to rise higher in politics. Let's put it that way. So he wants to get married for appearance's sake, if anything. And she's she's a good possibility for him. They're engaged. Um, 
soon after he wins his Senate seat. I guess it, it wasn't a bar to being in the Senate, but he's at least seen as, as dating her and serious about her. So for both future First Ladies, if we take a step back in Lady Bird's case, marriage is quickly followed by disappointment. Both husbands uh, had women on the side, um, and these included fleeting encounters uh, and longer-term relationships during the marriage with other women. Both wives are well aware that their husbands are engaging in extracurricular activities, and both are operating in a social milieu where other people are aware of this as well. So it's an embarrassing, even humiliating situation both for both of them. Uh, for Lady Bird, it seems that this love at first sight for her husband remained. And she stealthily ignores throughout her marriage both the affairs and her husband's otherwise humiliating treatment of her in front of others. In this, she seems more like she's living out her ideal as a southern white woman of standing in a way that her mother had little interest in. You know, her mother basically goes off and says, you know, she doesn't get divorced, but she's like, if I'm not enjoying you, I'm not around, honey. But, but Lady Bird was very, very different. Uh, she was Lyndon's rock. But she also had the money, and perhaps that was part of it. The marriage never seems to have been in question in terms of ending for either of them. Lady Bird never retreats from her husband or makes a separate life. Her endeavors were always related to him, in support of him, and she became, in his, in, um, as he goes on, a major political asset in terms of planning, taking notes on people, making connections, and, and giving him advice. She was a tireless worker from morning until night in his behalf, in addition to overseeing this growing media business and uh, raising of their daughters when they came. And these daughters, their daughters always knew that everyone in the family played a backseat to daddy. In contrast, Jackie, who marries into an already established political family, a family with great wealth, um, she basically becomes the arm candy. I mean, that's what she's married for. She's not married just for her looks. She's married for her aristocratic status, her education, right? Because she has to seem a certain way. But certainly not for day-to-day -day assistance or political participation or someone to talk with. In fact, Jackie's basically left out of decisions when it comes to political, medical, or planning decisions. I mean, you can read a lot about that and how she steps up. She makes the decision of when she wants to be more involved, but it's not presumed that she will be, and um, it's certainly not presumed that she's going to be in a leadership position when it comes to her husband's life, either as a co-leader or taking the reins in any way. She mainly avoids politics, uh, except for her father-in-law. She does have a re nice relationship with him. She doesn't enjoy her, fa her husband's family um, or the family-centric campaigning. 
She's brought in for political purposes when she's needed. She speaks well. She's seen as his significant other. There's photo shoots of the couple. Um, but this idea, these team sports kind of thing with the Kennedy family and the family campaigning almost as a team activity, she's not really into that. Uh, in addition to the constant infidelity, something that J Lady Bird and Jackie share in terms of being um, the aggrieved spouses, if you will, uh, ja Lady Bird and Jackie also share another experience that's very significant to any woman who goes through this. Uh, they both had great difficulties and traumatic events when it came to attempting to have children. And this is a time for both generations of women when your self-worth and your position vis-a-vis -vis other women and, and other people are judged in terms of whether you're married, whether you're producing babies, how you're raising your children, and how your children uh, are progressing and how they end up. Uh, Neither one of these women had children in the first within the first few years of their marriages. Something that which that was extremely common at the time, um, and what was expected, generally expected of women. Um, neither ended up having large families, uh, due in large part to these difficulties. Both suffered miscarriages uh, and took years to have a, to bear a child, a healthy child. In the 1940s, uh, Lady Bird underwent surgery, and this was no joke in the 40s, if you consider where surgery was. Um, she did this so that she would be able to potentially bring a pre pregnancy to term. It did help, but you know, you didn't know. You, didn't, you never know, if, right, if surgery is going to be successful. She's in her 30s by the time she becomes a mother, also very unusual. Uh, for Lady Bird, these setbacks occurred while she and her husband were somewhat public figures. Uh, they're certainly well known within po political circles, but not when they are uh, in the center of the national spotlight or known to a very broad public. For Jackie, the opposite is true. She's she's in the national spotlight from the time she gets married, um, if not before, actually even before when they become serious. And when she's pregnant and when she's on bed rest and when she has miscarriages, this is all stuff that's well known. She actually gives birth when her husband is president-elect with their second child and that's within weeks of the election um so for jackie it's it's not only a personal issue and she goes through a lot on a personal level a lot of trauma um but she also knows that these things are being covered in the national media maybe not in a way they are today but they're well known so unlike the Johnsons, the, the Kennedy couple, it, they are political celebrities. 
even while Jack is in the Senate. When they're engaged, uh, for example, her future father-in-law arranges for a Life magazine photo shoot of the couple on Cape Cod, showing them, you know, in love and enjoying time together and having fun. Um, You know, this is obviously not your run-of-the-mill couple being in love. And she kind of eats it up, right? She eats up the reality of it. This is what she wants with Jack. I don't think she really sees at that point just how much of a, yes, we're on camera now and versus when we're not on camera kind of life she's going to have. And we can contrast how she's feeling then and how, you know, her husband's acting kind of, you know, coming leading up to the marriage with something that happens a few years later so she's pregnant uh we're right after the democratic convention in 1956 uh her husband loses out on a significant political milestone which would be a real coup he does not become the vice presidential nominee in 1956 Um, she's, even though she's pregnant, she's kind of running around working the connections with the rest of the Kennedys at various events and dinners during this, uh, this convention. Right after the convention, her husband feels like he has to, uh, relax. So he goes off to France, to the south of France with a Senate buddy who's a kind of similar type. So imagine this. You're in the last trimester of your pregnancy that you, you know, you've had miscarriages, you've had a hard time getting pregnant, you're pregnant, you're in your last trimester, and she's in her seventh month, and her husband goes off on a nice vacation with a buddy. He cheats on her during this vacation. He's on another continent. This is the 50s, right? It's not going to be two minutes by her side if he needs to be there. Or So let's see. And let's, let's put this even in a, a familial context for her in terms of her the, the family she's married into. At this point, if you're keeping score, it's Jackie Zero and Ethel, her fellow Ken- Kennedy sister-in-law, who's the uh, wife of Robert Kennedy, she's popping out babies left and right, almost Monty Python style. Uh, She's on the same motherhood trajectory of her mother-in-law, Rose Kennedy, who had, you know, more than 10 children, right? So, you know, that's the idea. That's the ideal. You just keep having these kids. And, And Jackie's having a hard time even having one. Plus, she's not quite palsy with these sisters-in-law, both the sisters uh, of her husband and her sister-in-law, Ethel. Um, She's somewhat of an outsider, and she's not producing. This is right. This is her job. Plus, in addition to this, you know, for both women, but, but we're talking about Jackie here, not being in an ideal marriage. You know, it's well known in her social set that her husband is not faithful and that he's fooling around all the time so there's a humiliation factor there as well and so now uh you know she's she's pregnant she's in her seventh month 
So about one week after the 56th Democratic election, right, her husband has lost out on being the vice presidential candidate. He's in the south of France and his wife, seven months pregnant, hemorrhages. And she has cesarean surgery and a stillbirth uh, with the birth of Arabella. That was supposed to be the baby's name, uh, their first child. Her husband doesn't talk to his wife until after the baby is buried, a burial that his brother Robert arranges. He's not rushing back to her side. He doesn't come home until his friend, his buddy, on this, this adventure, the guy he's carousing with, until this guy says, if you ever want to be president, you got to get back there. This is disastrous for such aspirations. If you're not seen as the good, comforting, supportive husband, if you're not seen at your wife's bedside, you better get back there. So I, got, I just want to ask you, how is that for love? Right? If you love someone and they're going through that, not only going through um, a tumultuous time medically, but it's with your child and he's not even rushing back. Sees no need to rush back. His brother's taking care of it. And your friend has to be like, oh, if you want to rise up in the world, just be seen. Just have that appearance of comforting her. So the person who shows up immediately at Jackie's bedside in Newport, Rhode Island, who's rushing there from Cape Cod uh, and who becomes close to her thereafter is Bobby Kennedy. And I'll take a sip of water at this point. Uh, Jackie is so upset by this death, she insists on selling the home that they had bought and she was making ready. She can't bear to return there. And they actually sell the home, Hickory Hill, to Robert and Ethel Kennedy with their expanding large family. Meanwhile, we have Lady Bird. She's not a well-known figure outside of her home state, though she's still known in D.C. as a congressman's wife, later as a senator's wife, um, and later as the wife of the Senate Majority Leader. So she's, she's rising with her husband in the political world, but she's not really well-known by the broader public. And she lives in D.C. She lives in D.C. for a long time. This is a time when uh, politicians don't feel the need to live in their home districts or states. Travel is a little bit more uh, onerous than it is today, but also um, they make better connections, right, with their fellow politicians and others in D.C. So it's, it's not all bad to be there. He's not abandoning his state, and she's going back quite often. Um, and there were strict hierarchies then in terms of politicians' wives and the rules of social obligations. Uh, so she's very much within this strict, these strict rules of her social set, and she adheres to them. And she's becoming more well-known. Uh, she's rising the ladder, and then she's the wife of the vice president. Uh, when uh, her husband becomes 
uh, vice president when when Kennedy is in the White House. So the public knows of her, um, but like maybe you know most vice presidential wives, she's not that much covered in the press. She's not really treated as much of a celebrity. Uh, during the presidential campaign of 1960, Jackie is pregnant, and because her pregnancies are problematic, she already has, she does have, you know, one healthy uh, living child, who's, uh, I guess, about three when she's campaigning, um, but she's, she's had a stillbirth, and she's had miscarriages, so she's on bed rest during most of the 1960 campaign. She's certainly not crisscrossing the country campaigning. She gives birth to her second uh, living child right after the 1960 election, so she has a three-year-old and an infant as she moves into the White House. Um, and it's a big effort to move in, move when you have... Uh, a young child and a, and a toddler. Of course, she has a lot of assistance. She's not exactly uh, doing that much on her own, but still she's in charge and it's a, it's a lot of effort. It's a lot of change and it's a lot of media coverage uh, when you have an infant and she's not quite over the birth when she goes to see the White House, uh, the first tour, you know, with the, the outgoing first lady, who is then Mamie Eisenhower, gives her the tour. Mamie does not treat her well, and Jackie is absolutely exhausted at the end of that tour. There was supposed to have been a wheelchair waiting for her, and Mamie kind of has it hidden away so that Jackie would have to ask for it, which she feels embarrassed to do. So she's absolutely exhausted at the end of this tour. And this is kind of the the condition she's in. She's getting over a cesarean section. She has these two children, you know. It's not an easy time for her. Um... So with such young children, and Jackie is kind of insistent on her alone time and her time with her children, um, both during the campaign and when she when her husband becomes president, Lady Bird is often uh, the substitute for Jackie at many events um, that Jackie's unwilling or unable to attend, uh, and and. Lady Bird Johnson's the worker bee. She's the one who doesn't say no. But Jackie's not overly involved in her husband's political career in terms of his administration or political decision-making. And she's not the public figure she was to become at this point, either. Unlike Lady Bird, Jackie was not one of her husband's coterie of close advisors. Indeed, at the start of the Kennedy administration, there's more of a fear that, as First Lady, Jackie seems too elitist and cold, and that she's not even a political asset. Uh, this interpretation of how Jackie is perceived as they move into the White House is not universally sh shared. There's a difference of opinion on this. But in any case, it does soon become evident that um, that she helps, that she helps uh, Jack's image. She's quickly perceived in the, in the media as a political asset. She brings out tons of people when she does campaign or appear. Uh, her participation on international trips is a big plus. Um, she becomes a fashion icon, which doesn't hurt. 
She connects well with both foreign political leaders and certain American audiences due to her ability to speak foreign languages. And this is where we'll leave off in comparing and contrasting um, in, in, and we'll, uh, we're going to move a little bit more into uh, the administrations and what, what these women do. Um, we'll go a little bit more chronologically, beginning in the early 60s. Um, we have Jack Kennedy as president and Lyndon Johnson as vice president. And we will start our next episode in 1962. So it's been a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, again, we're just making that foundation for our next two episodes in which we get a little bit more into uh, what's happening in the lives of these two first ladies and as they become uh active in the public sphere and specifically as they become active in terms of public spaces and transportation. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in two weeks or you'll hear from me in two weeks. You can comment on our social media for Altered Mobility. Bye-bye and have a wonderful time before we meet again.
Oh!